Don't just stand there, fire back! Lord Dredd is threatening the future of the human race. Captain Power battles him every week on TV, and he needs your help. Grab your Powerjet XT7, fire invisible beams at enemy targets on his TV show, and score! Or be hit. This is not a test. The TV show will fire back. Sure, you're good, but are you great? Get Captain Power interactive videotapes with three different skill levels. Practice with Powerjet XT7 and practice some more. Are you going to help Captain Power and the soldiers of the future? Or are you just going to stand there? The power of the future is in your hands. Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future. Captain Power and Associated Trademarks were owned by Landmark Entertainment Group, used under license by Mattel. Figure jet and videotapes each sold separately. Batteries not included. Copyright Landmark Entertainment Group, 1987. All rights reserved. Watch the futuristic military adventures of Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future on TV this fall. Mattel. Welcome, dear listener, to our podcast, Jeff and Rick present Unpacking the Power of Power Pack. Where we journey through each issue of the most underrated Marvel series of the 80s while drinking beer. Analyzing awesome and amazing adolescent adventures and absorbing alcohol. I am Jeff. And I am Rick. And I am Matt. A random banter to some. A nightmare to others! Random banter time, buddies. Tell me a tale of what's been happening in your lives. No, that is just too small of a thing. I don't know what that's from. <laughs> Matt, do you have an idea where that random banner came from? I am not sure. Okay, I will give you a hint. Shiny, shiny, reflective plastic plate mail armor. Oh, it's got to be Excalibur then. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> oh, I had to watch that movie for a class in college. I always think of that movie with one of my friends, Mario. And he used to love that movie. He yeah, loved great. it to death. And he remembers that one of his friends got the ultra clean laser disc copy. Yeah. And he was so happy. And he sat down with one of his friends and they put it on and they're watching. Wow, this is so awesome. Wow, this is so clean. And as they're watching it, his friend leans over and goes, man, this is pretty clean. If you look in that guy's armor, yeah. you can see the cameraman. <laughs> yes, you can. At which point, the movie was ruined for Mario. <laughs> this is Matt Lazowitz from WMQA Comics Podcast. That was my version of your uh, jingle. How'd I do? <laughs> did, you did great. Thank you. Yeah, you, 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 did, you did great there, buddy. Good job, pal. Aw, shucks. Yeah. Good so, job uh, there, little fella. <laughs> besides the WMQA podcast, you also have the WMQ website. Tell us about those things. Tell our fans uh, about what you do. <laughs> well, WMQ Comics was a... is... Not was, we are still publishing, <laughs> is a uh, comic <laughs> website that was founded by journalist and comic book fan Dan Grote, who happens to be my best friend and has been since we were 12 years old, which is a very long time ago, longer than I am going to, to admit. And when Dan started the site, the first one of the first things he did was ask if I wanted to contribute, and naturally, as... I, I like to spew my opinions about comics as much as the next guy. Um, I said yes. <laughs> and so uh, we've been publishing for, it'll be two years next month. And uh, a little ways into the run of the site, uh, Dan wanted to do a podcast. And so we started WMQ&A. 
um, which is a weekly interview show where Dan and I talk to creators, fans, podcasters, various associated tradespeople to comics, um, and we have a good time of it. Uh, we've had Jeff and Rick on, and we are looking forward to hitting our 100th episode in about a month. Nice. Good job. Yeah, I, I enjoy listening to your show. It's always interesting what creators you've got coming on or, or what guests you've got coming on. I also like your website, too. I like your blog. I have had the opportunity to contribute a couple of things to it. Uh, one which just came out for your uh, Chris, or your advent calendar for Christmas. Yes. Yes. That is something Dan and I, we've done it for the the two years the site has been up and we did it when I used to have my own blog and Dan would contribute uh, there. We would do different themes, but for WMQ, we do 24 as all advent calendars are of the best comics of the year. Um, in, last year, Dan and I wrote the majority of them, but this year we actually have a lot of great contributors. Rick, you are one of them. We have uh, upcoming Pieces from Chris and Christy Edelman of Chris's on Infinite Earths, our various regular contributors to the site, Will Nevin, and some of the others will be joining us for different entries. Today's entry was Faithless, yes. uh, a, uh, a Boom Studios title by a new contributor to our site, uh, Reese Guida. Uh, yesterday was my first entry of the advent calendar which was Edry Baker and Sean Phillips' Criminal. Right. Um, Dan and I realized that day three seems to be the Brubaker and Phillips slot, as <laughs> last year I also wrote day three, and it was Brubaker and Phillips, my heroes have always been junkies. And if things continue apace, their just-announced uh, OGN pulp will probably be next year's day three, because it's <laughs> Brubaker and Phillips, and I love everything they do. Well, I, I will try to push something new from Mark Russell next year because I think that's going to be my jam is how much can I tell the world about you know Mark Russell that they don't already know? But I, I should also mention, too, that by the time this comes out, all of our listeners can go back and they can read all of the advent calendar as it was because I think we're going to be coming out. This is going to be coming out sometime after December. But still, it's it's nice that you're here and, you know, I wish we could do more plugging for it ahead of time. But for next year. They will know. We can tweet it. Yes. Yes, we'll tweet. I've been tweeting a lot about mine, too. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, I saw. Yeah. And thank you for that, for uh, Red, Red Sonia, which was your mm -hmm. your entry, and we appreciate that. Not a problem. I, I decided I'd be nice and leave, uh, you know, second coming for somebody else. I am planning on doing an Immortal Hulk one for you. I've just been busy with life in disgusting amounts. Fortunately, so. it's the beginning of December. Exactly. You got some time. Yeah, so I'm going to kick that out in the next day or two. <laughs> it's, it's beginning of December. There's nothing important coming up. No, there really is no. not. <laughs> <laughs> and, I'm pretty sure, and I'm pretty sure Dan himself has claimed second coming. Good. So Excellent. It, it's coming up. Excellent. That all being said, I think we should go ahead and dive into this fantastic book that you requested to be on. Uh, I think request might be a soft term for it. I, I think it would be better to say you demanded to do this one. So uh, be 
Before we can get to that, though, Jeff, can you please give us a two-sentence replay of the last episode? A blackout envelops New York City, so a not-grounded Katie flies off to go and make sure her mom is okay, only to discover that Apocalypse and his four horsemen are out wrecking havoc on the populace of her fair hometown. The rest of the pack decide to throw off the bonds of groundedness and join up with Katie, Marvel Girl, and Cyclops to defeat Pestilence and then protect the Statue of Liberty from being destroyed by the the falling-out-of-the-sky giant ship of Apocalypse. Now that the Julie finally did a successful Julie hammer and knocked Pestilence off of her flying mount to fall to her death, whoops, two-sentence replay is over, why don't you give me a beer and tell us what our power pack pick is? My pleasure, my friend. Um... I forgot to check with you ahead of time to see if you were able to get the same beer as us. Were you? I alas was not, but I found something. All right. Well, why don't you go ahead and go first? So what I have is uh, a Paradox Pilsner from Paradox Brewery. Okay. All right. I think I see what you're laying down there. (laughs) Uh, uh, The story time on this beer is our award-winning Pilsner is a cross between a Czech and German-style lager. We use an old-world Pilsner malt to provide a bready background and a blend of noble hops. Crisp and crushable. Very nice. Mm. And I I think I see what you're doing there with the paradox because you've got a – we got a giant robot that is uh, coming after somebody who – could or will be a very powerful mutant, thus creating a paradox. Paradox. Indeed, you are correct, sir. Not a paragese, a paradox. I was trying to tie it into a pilsner somehow. <laughs> and, uh, man, I just wasn't coming up with it. Nope, no, no. Like, maybe the uh, the oat bread that uh, Jim Power was making had a beer in it. Maybe it was a that, beer bread. That could be, that could be. Yeah, that could so be. that's what I was trying to tie it into. Well, nope, you guys went for the paradox portion. Well, on my side, I decided to get something from the E9 Brewery from Tacoma, Washington. And this Let's see that. is Omega Man Indian <laughs> Pale Ale. <laughs> Man, that is the genericest of looking cans in the world, isn't it? It pretty much is. Yeah, that is uh, a step. It's a lateral move from beer brand beer. Yeah, it, it's uh, go ahead and describe this uh, the silver bullet of a can. <laughs> yeah, it is a silver bullet of a can. It has a giant E9 on it, and then it, smaller letters, Omega Man, and smaller yet, India Pale Ale. Uh, on the back, it kind of has a like a Adobe kind of Ken doll flesh-colored little square or rectangle that says the exact same stuff, uh, but with the notes on it and the alcohol volume. Uh, story time on it is... Crafted in Tacoma, Washington. <laughs> uh, there, there are some notes on the other side. <laughs> yeah, there's the notes on that, but go that's what it. you go. usually cover for. Oh, go, go ahead. Okay. The Well, then real story time on this is notes. Double dry hopped IPA with a mix of Southern Hemisphere hops and fermented with our favorite British ale yeast. And this is a 6.7 alcohol by volume. And I was not able to find the IBUs, which is weird because it's an IPA. Yeah, that does not have that on that, does it? All right, weird. But Jeff, can you take guess as to why I went with Omega Man? Uh, because you love Charlton Heston. Bingo! Yeah. <laughs> and you, Jim you, Power kind of looks like Charlton Heston sometimes. I, I was going to say, did you see the, the, the cameo by Charlton Heston in here? Yeah, uh, <laughs> maybe. Uh, I, I, I'm going to be honest, I didn't read this issue, so I'm going to just guess that Charlton Heston was a major player in it. <laughs> it. It was when Franklin said, get your paws off me, you darn dirty robot. Or it was uh, Jack when uh, Alex had launched a powerball and Jack's all, you blew it up, you blew it up, you maniacs. 
It might have been it might have been that part. But could, could again, like I said, I haven't read this, so I'm yeah, not yeah. going to be a real good contributor. No, no. I'm going to guess because uh, Master Mold is going to be hunting Franklin, who grows up to be India Pale Ale Man. Yes, uh, I, that Indian Pale Ale Man is also kind of known as an Omega Mutant. Oh, which is weird. Kind of, yeah, yeah. It's kind of, you know, Franklin Richards, I consider or is considered to be the Omega Mutant, if you will. Yep. So that's why I decided to go with this one. I, I thought it was a very nice, a, a nice slide. I think we both went with the uh, the Franklin Richards type theme on this one. Yeah, it's well, it's a Frank issue. Yeah. As far as our beer goes, we got a nice cloudy, cloudy, juicy looking IPA. Wow, that is super haze. Yeah, yeah I, that, I can't that see is, through that at all. That is not even translucent. That is very opaque. Wow. It does have a nice color to it. It mm-hmm. almost looks like a squeezed grapefruit juice or something. Yeah. It's got a great color to it. Got a good smell. It's got the has little IPA. citrus notes on it. Yeah, but yeah definitely note. IPA, but uh, not like offensive with the hops. I gotta say, I'm not getting that much hops in here. No, it's mostly citrus. So uh, maybe it's uh, a lot of citrus hops. I like it. It gets on your tongue and it does kind of, it, it goes like, I'm an IP. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'm not. It, yeah, it's it, very citrusy. That's yeah, a got very more citrusy fruit than the hops. Yeah, that's really refreshing. That's honestly, that really kind of reminds me of uh, like a half with uh, a little too much lemon in it. Yeah, I would go with that. No, I, I'm enjoying this one. Yeah, wow. That's a surpriser. When I saw that it was an IPA, I said, oh, now I tasted <laughs> it. And I'm like, hmm. Not bad. Matt, what about you? What can you tell us a little bit about your paradox? This is, uh, it's got a nice, you know, ambery color to it, a little bit on the hazy side. I mean, I can't, you know, holding it up to the light and looking through, I can't see much through it. I'm not a big beer drinker, so, you know, a lot of the subtleties are probably lost on me. It's, I mean, it's good taste, not much of a, of a, an aftertaste to it. It's, it, it goes down smooth. That's all you need to know. We're not very big beer drinkers ourselves. Um, contrary to the 46 other 46 plus other episodes that we've done <laughs> and, all, and all of our hobby drinking no and no. Uh, <laughs> no, we, we, we uh we don't we don't drink so um <laughs> i think we should move on to the opening credits with that all righty let me take a sip and i'll get to that power pack issue number 36 april 1988 the 12th credits drawn and written by john bogdanov inked by hillary barda lettered by joe rosen Colored by John Wellington. Edited by Carl Potts. Editor-in-Chief, Tom DeFalco. Nurturing and inspiration by Judy, Wheezy, and Walt. Featuring Power Pack, Alex Power, a.k.a. Destroyer. Oldest Power sibling. Likes to disintegrate matter and he turns it into energy, which he then can... Expel. Julie Power, a.k.a. Molecula. Mistress of Density. The second oldest Power sibling, and she likes to control her molecular density. Jack Power, a.k.a. Counterweight. Second youngest power sibling, he likes to really be the joker of the family. I mean, he really likes to increase or decrease the gravity of objects he touches and make fun of his family. Katie Power, a.k.a. Starstreak, youngest power sibling, likes to fly very, very fast while leaving rainbow trails behind her. And Franklin Richards, a.k.a. Tattletail, the most Omega mutant of all time, 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 time. Guest starring the Power Parents, Jim and Maggie. They do not know their kids have powers, but they know their kids are friends with their Fantastic Four's kid, and that is okay. The Fantastic Four, Mr. Fantastic, a.k.a. Reed Richards. The Invisible Woman, a.k.a. Susan Storm Richards. The Thing, a.k.a. Ben Grimm. And the Human Torch, a.k.a. Johnny Storm. They are pretty fantastic. 
Okay, before we even get started, I wanted to let you guys know that I've really dived into some research and have developed some actual statistical numbers we can use for the show. I emailed you all the results, and I uh, encourage you to use the data in the show, okay? Um, you know, uh, Jeff, you know, I, I really don't know... Are you citing Bob's number emporium in the Onion as sources? Guys, 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 trust me and trust these numbers. Now, this is another episode with Franklin, right? So I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that we're going to start out with a dream sequence. Why, Jeff, you cynical so-and-so? How dare you assume that this is how this comic is going to start? Why, I have half a mind, too. Oh, you know what? Um, 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 wait a second. Wait a second. I just, well, I opened the cover and the to the first page. And yeah, you know what? You're, 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 you're correct. You're right. How did you know? I mean, you know, all joking aside, of course, you are correct, and thanks to some appropriate narration, we find out that the powerful little progeny is indeed present and pursued by a phantasm. Franklin is sprinting across a barren landscape, running away from a giant metallic hand. Um, uh, Matt? Matt, Matt that's, that's your cue. Uh, guys, uh, no offense here, but why do I have to do the Master Mold voice? There are a few reasons why. One is that your name starts with an M, so there's some good synergy going on there. Uh, another is that doing voices is fun, and you get to claim Master Mold as your guy. Your voice choice is what all future voices of this character will be based on. And the final reason is that we said so. So get a voice in and make it good. Jeez, you interview a few dozen premier comic creators and you begin to think you're too good for doing voices. I tell you. Uh, okay, s sorry. <clears throat> No escape for you, little boy. You're the twelfth, and you have to die. Really, Frank? I know you're four and a half, but you're a child of the 80s. You must have seen Star Wars. Robots are either unusually formal or speak in beeps and boops. Or Austrian. But unless Reed and Sue left you under the obviously irresponsible babysitting care of Uncle Johnny, you probably haven't seen Terminator. Let's just go on a limb and say that they probably have, and that Johnny probably has. Anyways, Franklin is not very happy about this, and he's crying, and running, and tripping, and screaming, and being squished under- no, never mind- under the immense heel of the mechanical monolith. But then, he wakes up in bed, not squished, but buried under his pillow that is resting on top of him. The confusion of the prophetic dream is coupled with him waking up in his old bedroom in the headquarters of the Fantastic Four. At this time in FF history, Reed and Sue have taken a break from being a part of their world's greatest comic book team, and have moved to Stamford, Connecticut with Franklin to try their hand at being normal, whatever that is. As Frank starts to wander through the halls to his parents' room, he thinks about his upcoming sleepover at the Powers' house, and ponders if this dream was one of his special dreams. He also wonders if he should inform his parents. Fortunately for us, the readers, he overhears his parents talking about if Franklin will really be safe spending the night with the Powers. Reed thinks that being with a nice, normal family like the Powers is probably safer than being around them. Which is true. We actually have solid facts that children are 83% more likely to be endangered while being around the Fantastic Four. With, uh, of course, 48% of that endangerment coming from members within that household. Oh, Jeff, Jeff. According to this, the same research says that the power pack has a 100% child endangerment rate? Quiet, you. You're misrepresenting the data. It shows only a 97% uh, child endangerment rate, which I admit still really isn't that good. Now, I'm no mathematician, 
but I have played Renan TV. And I have to point out that your data shows a statistical error rate of plus or minus 50%. Of course there's a statistical error rate, because math isn't an exact science, Matt. Don't make me throw this smoke bomb. <laughs> okay, well, hearing his parents worry if they should keep him home or not helps Franklin decide to lie by omission to read and sue, and not tell them that he had a potential special dream about a mighty mecha murder monster. After all, he has been looking forward to spending time with his friends. And besides, what could possibly go wrong? Meanwhile in Power Apartment. Home of the Fighting Kid Cleaning Crew. The Power family is working together to tidy up their abode in preparation for young Master Richards. While Julie and her mom tackle the living room, Alex and Jack are working on the bathroom. And fighting. Because, you know, day with a Y and all. This time it's Jack scolding Alex for... A good reason. Alex has decided that a good way to clean the bathroom floor is to disintegrate the top layer of scum and germs with his powers. This actually sounds like a good idea. It doesn't use solvents, and it's good training for his power usage, and it's kind of fun. Yeah, but he's doing it with the door open. Jack rightfully reads him the riot act on not closing that door. I think he's most angry that Alex takes his job of doing the floors. Jack really does not want to do the toilets. Who would? Not me. Nope. But that just leaves Katie. What's she up to? About three foot eight. Katie is in the kitchen helping her dad make bread by poking the dough with her finger. I checked with my wife, a professional baker, and this is an important step that is often overlooked in baking, and when overlooked, can lead to unpoked dough. Julie reminds her that they have to clean their room. Soon, the two ladies are also doing a power demonstration in their room, as Katie flies around picking up stuff, And Julie practices her tall girl power to tidy those top shelves. Julie's monologue about how she has finally figured out how her big girl power works by gently pushing apart her molecules so that she is mostly solid is interrupted by Katie crying. Apparently, all of the emotional stress of being a superhero and seeing so many horrific things just caught up to her. She makes a good point that it would help if she could tell her parents. But Julie reinforces the line that they have all agreed to. This is a secret and they can't tell their parents. Ring! And then the FF show up! Hooray! It has to be something amazing to see the thing just walk into your apartment through the front door. I mean, we know from Jeff's data that 87% of all superheroes enter through walls. With the uh, number rising to 95% if they're on a team with an X in the name. Yeah, well, Reed, Sue, and Franklin also walk in the room, also through the front door. Weird. Hello, I'm happy to be here. A joyous welcome is made for Franklin and his family. The power kids rush their buddy while the adults talk amongst themselves. They flew over in the Fantastic Car, and the Human Torch is watching it on the roof. So, the party moves outside, and soon it is a cacophony of stuff. Most of the kids are amazed at watching Johnny Storm do fire tricks, while Alex checks out the Fantastic Car. Reed and Jim are talking over the science of the vehicle, using various symbols instead of words, which is some amazing lettering. Sue and Maggie are talking amongst themselves, with Sue thanking Maggie for the lentil soup recipe. She says that Frank loves it, even though Reed says that it gives him gas. Fun fact, 35% of all brainy scientists get gas from beans. Go on. Thanks. I guess. Well, the scene shows us an amazing mix of the ordinary mixed with the surreal. Kind of like meeting someone who is thought of as a celebrity, but talking to them about mundane family stuff. Soon it is time for the FF to take off. And after mother and son exchange a quick, love you, the Fantastic Four fly forth from Frank. 
Frank gets a bit melancholy as his family leaves, but is soon laughing as the Power Kids tackle him, saying how much fun they're going to have together. Then we have another raucous scene as the Power family has dinner. This single panel shows everyone sitting around a table eating a variety of food, with word balloons surrounding the picture. Exactly 11.7% of these words are... Oh boy, my favorite! After dinner, we move to another crazy scene as a pillow fight breaks out, which is bound to happen in a room of five kids and fun-loving parents, I guess. There is so much in this one scene, we'll have to pick it up later. This transitions into family story time, and then bedtime. But Franklin is already asleep. And dreaming. What we see next is some dream exposition. We get a background storyline that recaps some history that will help the rest of the story. And it is all told from the viewpoint of Master Mold. A gigantic sentinel robot that was built to hunt down mutants. Unlike other sentinels, this was designed to hunt and kill the most powerful mutants. And it was patterned after the brain patterns of Stephen Lang. A mutant hater and creator of the ex-sentinels. Master Mold has not been doing a really good job. It was first beaten and nearly destroyed by the Incredible Hulk. During its reconstruction, it glitched and focused on its prime mission, to destroy the Twelve. Hmm, uh, question guys. I'm not a football fan or anything, but what does it have against the Seahawks? Well, on October 4th of 1987, the Seahawks beat the Dolphins, and Master Mold was doing its rebuilding in the ocean, so, uh, maybe that's why? Actually, I, I got this one, guys. The Twelve are a dozen mutants who will one day rise up and lead mutant kind in the war with Homo sapiens. I guess in today's world, that 12 would be the Quiet Council of Kokoa, right? Well, you know, one of the 12 was ID'd as Cyclops, so yeah? Speaking of Scott Summers, he and the overbuilt droid had a recent encounter in Alaska, and Cyclops dropped a big old whoopin' on the robot and slagged him. But that did still not finish this Energizer Bunny. No siree. Some random construction worker cleaning up after the battle found a small panel that was beeping. And, like a real schmuck, he steals this tech and takes it aboard a tanker ship. He starts to tinker with it, causing it to defend itself. This defense mechanism disintegrates the man and sinks the ship that they are on. The resourceful regenerating robot reconstructs with the reusable refuse and wreckage. Rebuilt and reset, the reconfigured relic restarts its records and rummages for a reference of its research. Master Mold's files are impressive, and even though it's pushing an 89% repair job, the oversized smartphone is now able to activate its precognitive iron sight programming. Meaning, it can project out and find the most powerful mutant and identify what he will be in the future. Which, I want to point out, can only really be done by about 7% of all robots. At, <laughs> at least according to my extensive research, that is. What Master Mold finds out is that at this point in time, Franklin is underpowered, and that there is a 99.44% chance of a successful termination of this target. Target mutant identity confirmed. Future coded facts data. Tattletail, Ultiman, the Twelfth, Richards, comma, Franklin B. And Frank wakes up from that nightmare. The next morning, after a family breakfast where Frank is not eating or saying, Oh boy, my favorite! The kids are making their plans for the day, including where they will meet their parents at the museum. Which is where and when, Jack? Four o'clock under the whale. Speaking of Jack... He is disappointed to see that they are really going to the park like they told their parents, and not superheroing around. But Alex explains that they need to cool it and do some normal things. What's with this normal stuff? Especially since they were recently grounded after almost being caught superheroing. 
Well, according to Jeff's data, normal kids only do normal things 4% of the time. Uh, the data actually states 3.8%, but, uh, you know, we don't need to be pedantic about it. Okay, well... Okay, um, but keep in mind, it's still it's 3.8%. Okay, okay, go ahead. Yeah. Frank takes this normal time moment to fill in the power kids about his... Not normal dreams. And it's a good thing that he did, because at the near exact moment that his tale is finished in the telling, Master Mold emerges from the depths of the Hudson, squelching and screaming, Franklin, wherever, whenever you are, Master Mold is gonna get you, no matter how far. You're a mutant, one of the twelve, little toehead. Master Mold wants you for dead. Uh, Jeff... Master Mold didn't sing anything. What he actually did was say, Surrender to me, the 12th mutants, or die. So, if we were to rank some of the best entrance lines, this would be up there. I mean, it's no skate or die, but it's better than, Hey, good looking, what's cooking? I don't know, I'm still really partial to, It's clobberin' time, or Here's Johnny. I mean, it's no... Face it, tiger, you hit the jackpot, but pretty good. I can see that. Sometimes the classics really sell the- I have come, come for the 12th mutants. Give him to me. Okay, okay, jeez. Keep your metal shorts on, Buckethead. The kids react and costume on. Julie quickly directs Katie to fly Frank away and hide him. Unfortunately, Julie then gets caught in old rusty Ironside's big iron mitts, lifting her high up into the air. You cannot defy me, mutants. I was created to deal with the likes of you. Katie dumps Frank on top of a box in Pen Yards. Wait, why would she dump him on top of a box? If the robot comes, he's trapped, right? I think she secretly hates him. Now, are you saying that? Or are you channeling Master Mold? Uh, little of column A, little of column B. Anywho, Frank is left with his thoughts, which tell him that he should be able to protect himself and not be afraid. Katie's not afraid. He should be like her. Scrunch. Uh, what, what was that noise? Ah, uh, just Master Mold crushing Julie Iron Maiden style in its vice-like fist. What? what? Don't worry, guys. Julie clouded up and just in time and escaped. Darn it. Seriously, I'm really beginning to regret assigning you the Master Mold voice. Alex attempts to blast the not-friendly Iron Giant, but Jack pulls him out of the way just before Double M unloads an iron rain of finger missiles at the boy. While Alex is kind of grateful for the save, he's also really miffed at this setback, bemoaning his uselessness and Jack's mastery of his old power set. Jack goes to deliver another gravity-based iron justice to this walking trash can, and to also deliver a side dish of trash talk. Okay, you big transformer reject. Get ready to take a dive. Oomph. What do you transform into anyway? A giant mechanical tub of lard? Well, he tries. Grabbing Robbie the robot's left foot, Mr. Counterweight tries to DG the big monster. But he did not count on it being a big monster who has a mess of inertia behind him. And instead, is unceremoniously booted like an empty can. Punt. Oh, this is a long punt from the saltwater walk-on. It has the height and the flight, and it is still going. Folks, we could see a big score for the Sentinel team. This could shatter the history books. There's no way he can't... Wait, what is that? Coming out from the far boonies, it's a rainbow. A rainbow! We may see an upset here, folks. Yes, it looks like the little rainbow girl is going to... Two? Yes! She did it! She caught the kid! Unbelievable! 
Master Mold has not and will not be stopped by these tiny, insignificant ants. No, he continues to home in on the special boy, wading right through roadways and bridges. Frank, meanwhile, has been just sitting there. Well, sort of sitting there. He dreamed over to 25% of the active Fantastic Four, but they looked 100% busy. Now, he finally dreams over to the Power Kids, who are regrouping and heading after the giant Erector set. The quintet of Power Pack decide to attack together, starting with Frank appearing over the shoulder of the Iron Man. Yeah, 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 yeah. This unit programmed to recognize illusion of the 12th ectoplasmic projection capability will now nullify true opposition. And with that, he turns and fires a blast at Power Pack, but Alex quickly absorbs it. The power of the blast taking down the entire team, right at the feet of the towering Teddy Ruxpin. <laughs> what? Really? Teddy Ruxpin? Hey man, that thing terrified me as a child, and 78% of my friends. Would it have been more thematically acceptable to you two if I had just said Yarnborn? Moving on. This giant thing that is not a talking animated bear sees the down power team, and, ignoring Franklin's cries that power pack should not die, slams his massive, mighty metal metacarpus onto the fallen kids. No! Franklin cries his anguish to the heavens at the same moment as Master Mold raises its arms to the heavens in anger. The difference being, the robot has 130% less iron fists. Okay, even you have to admit that those numbers don't make any sense. Well, they do if you keep in mind that Netflix cancelled Iron Fist, but there's also the fact that I include forearms into the percentages. You see, Alex let loose a powerball just before impact, and the giant explosion has caused Master Mold to be... <laughs> <laughs> disarmed. And this disarming has somehow kept Power Pack from being destroyed. And because all of this information was audibly announced by the abused Autotron, Frank learns that the Power Pack must still be living, and he needs to save them. So he starts throwing rocks at it. Kapunk! Kaplink! This act will show Master Mold that he is willing to pay the iron price. No! Don't squish my pals! Leave them alone! It's me you want to squish! So why don't you just do it and go away? The Twelfth! He whose power will be ultimate! As a child, you may still be crushed! And the big old Bolt Boy raises a foot the size of an iron horse above Frank. And, and... Wait a second, I uh, have to turn the page where we see Frank waiting for the inevitable descent of the Iron Birds of Fortune adrift above the skies, and... Zam! Here comes Katie to save the day! She flies in and grabs him as the Iron Boot comes crashing down from the Iron Sky. The rest of the pack climbs out of the crater they were in with a plan. Initiate Power Play 1A. Confuse and distract. Translation. Julie provides cloud cover while Katie does the ribbon flying. Transfer to Power Play 2B. Hold and destroy. Translation, Jack holds himself and Alex onto the target while Alex disintegrates it. Yep, that's about it. With this thing being a mechanical marvel, Alex has no problem with destroying it. But we should talk about his method, because he is looking more and more like Matter Eater Lad, which, being a DC property, is a problem. Yeah, he's just absorbing the entire robot structure, overfilling himself with energy and growing. He finally gets to the point where he's taking on the glow of a small star and is the size of a small car. 
but he is determined to destroy all of this Terminator. The rest of the team shows up to see that Alex has taken this thing down incrementally to just a small beeping box. From the 90% body mass remaining on this robot and systematically absorbing at a steady 75% rate, consuming 10% of mass each second, the powered-up boy successfully drew in a total of 99.87% of the total mass. But Alex's body has taken in too much juice. The teenage boy's frame should only be able to contain 68% of the amount of energy that Alex just absorbed. He is struggling, and he is in pain. The gang tried to convince him to release a powerball, but he can't focus or control it. Are you for real? Statistically speaking, 60-40. To make matters worse, Master Mold has started to rebuild its iron hide with the nearby scraps from the trashed highway. That little peeping box that was left was enough to start it all back up again, just like it did earlier with the tanker ship. And even though it is not up to its former glory, it's still trying to finish its mission. Mutants die! No! No! The metal monster was feet away from Alex when the massive powerball went off. Katie and Julie fly out of the blast area with the two younger boys just in time. The destruction is 100% amazing. And there in the crater when they return is Alex, looking exhausted. The rest of the team pick him up and Frank thanks him for being alive. Then they fly off, and in the bottom of the crater is the wreckage of the little beeping box. Based on my calculations, about 0.0034% of the original amount. We the end question mark next issue meet a new mutant Power pack packaging time and the themes of the issue guys let's talk about this awesome cover because um i like it i like it a lot yeah it's a good looking cover uh bog it's a bog and barda creation and um i don't know matt you're our guest you want to do us the honors yeah, I mean, this is, is is Bog at his strongest. I mean, it's the Master Mold reaching up with his hand around the Power Pack logo as Franklin hangs off of it. And he's got Alex in his other hand. Katie's got Jack and Julie's clouded up. And they're all sort of swirling around him while he's reaching to get Franklin. It's not exact. It's not something right out of the comic, but it really captures the essence of what's going on. Yeah, you, you've got, and you can see some ships in the background. It's like they're, they're on some water. It's like they're in the Hudson Bay right there. Got a couple of birds flying around, and Master Mold's mouth is open, and you, you see inside the mouth all of the mechanics, which is just, there's something really interesting and visceral about that. You know, you don't have the black open maw. It's You can see inside and see the mechanical nature of this beast that's attacking them. I like it. It <laughs> is a good drawing of a thing. So, yes, on, on, on high energy tonight, it's up to you and I, Matt. Um, <laughs> no, it, is a great, no, it really is a great looking cover. And I do love the fact that uh, Master Mold's hand is wrapped around the power pack symbol. because it's, you know, And uh, Franklin's hanging from it. It's like, wow, they're, they're involving the title of the issue. It's... It's it viscerally. It's very very cool. It's really really great visually. And and as far as the detail that we've got here, you see the sweat on Franklin. You see just the anguished look on uh, on Alex's face. I mean, you see a lot of good detail in the characters as well. Yeah, I also like the fact that you can, if you follow Katie's eyes, she's looking up at Frank hanging off the power pack symbol with like a, like concern in her eyes. Right. 
while while Jack's looking over and he's he's looking over with kind of concern over at uh, at Alex. You know, yeah. Trying to and then Julie's got a great uh, uh, determination face on. Yeah. Yeah. This is top notch. This is one of these that if I could get both of them to sign it, this would definitely go up on the wall. This oh yeah, be, totally. This be yeah, a- it's it's an awesome looking cover. It'd make a great poster. Now, as we go into the inside, let's uh, talk a little bit about the history of Master Mold, uh, because this character has been around for a while, in some form or the other, in a lot of different forms, actually. For my little bit of my own little research that I did, he first appeared in X-Men 15 and 16 back in December of 1965, and this was an original creation by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. So he's appeared in The Incredible Hulk, he's appeared in X-Factor, in this power pack and then after this issue he's appeared in more issues of like marvel comics presents uncanny x-men even the sensational she-hulk and all the way up to cyclops res- uh, retribution in 1994 so this character's been around in a while the 12 storyline is something that came out more with uh in the chris claremont and louise simonson era but as far as just the creation itself yeah he's been used a lot you know a little bit more about the 12 storyline, though, right, Matt? Oh, I do. Yeah, I mean, I picked this particular issue because the 12 was a big thing in the early 90s when I was just starting to get into the X-Books. And as I'd read more, that those two issues of X-Factor he appears in, 13 and 14, are two of my favorite issues of that series because they're really about Cyclops, who is my favorite X-Man. I am a shameless Cyclops apologist. But the the 12 was first mentioned in that story where uh, Master Mold you know, talks about the 12 and they show up. They're mentioned in this issue. They're mentioned by Apocalypse in X-Factor 68. Uh, and it's this whole thing where they're supposed to be these mutants who are going to lead mutant kind into this new golden age. Who they exactly were was always weird and kind of vague. Because, you know, you see there's the one panel in this issue where you see a bunch of floating heads. And there was something similar in the X-Factor, in both of those different X-Factor issues. And the initially, it's there's at least 13 possible members of the 12, plus a few more hidden. What's really, one of the really interesting things is eventually we find out that Master Mold was programmed with the information about the Twelve from a time traveler, uh, Madame Sanctity, who's one of the Ascani, the weird future cult people who worship Cable as a messiah. Uh-huh. Um, this one being a time traveler, um, who's also the time-displaced daughter of uh, Boulevard Trask, the dude who created the first Sentinels. It, it's, as Dan and I like to call it, glorious comics nonsense (laughs) (laughs) what eventually the final story where they go into the details of the 12 is really kind of an anti-climax um because they they, editorial and things had hinted that at the turn of the millennium leading into the year 2000 there'd be this big grand apocalypse story and the 12 would be a part of it and unfortunately the the creators who they had heralded um, as taking over the X-Books after the long-running teams of uh, Scott Lobdell, writers of Scott Lobdell and Fabian Nicieza left, uh, who were Joe Kelly and Steve Siegel, sort of had a falling out with editorial, so they were let go. And Alan Davis, 
who is a really great artist and a solid writer. I mean, his Excalibur, where he wrote and right. drew, is really good. Yeah, uh, was kind of given this thankless task of tying up everything, and so it winds up that the prophecy of the twelve was actually apocalypse all along, sort of creating this self-fulfilling prophecy to gather mutants he would need to siphon their power and become a god. And Franklin wasn't even one of the 12 in the end. And it's sort of a, one of those legendary stories with a lot of potential that didn't really pan out. Um, I know when I was talking to uh, Jay and Miles, uh, when I was doing an interview with them, they said that they were really looking forward to getting to the 12 in the somewhat distant future because it is just one of those what could have been sort of moments in X-Comics. Yeah, and I remember reading this issue as a kid and the X-Factor issue because they were both, they were they were my jam. They were what I was collecting back then. And these came out just before I actually started my collection, but they were very quickly pulled in as uh, through back issues. And I was always fascinated by what was going to happen with these 12. It was one of those storylines that I liked. I And I, you know, was always fascinated about, you know, who were these Omega-level mutants and who were these one these mutants that were going to lead and, and bring them all in. And I think that's where my own fascination with Cyclops came from as well. And, you know, I was pretty familiar with Franklin, too. No, it's it's always fascinating just to see, you know, these great storylines and these great story plots that, you know, people like Louise Simonson and, and Chris Claremont and Alan Davis and all these people that they, they would see these great storylines in, especially Chris Claremont, he was known for it. He'd drop these things in there and eventually get back to them and do something with them. It might not be exactly what he originally thought of, but he would come up with some really good cap off or some really good, you know, a little side story based on this one thing he dropped in there a while back. And it just, it's always sad to me that this is something that, that got dropped and got left. Although, you could squint your eyes a little bit and say retcons abound and say that Hickman, you know, has kind of used a little bit of this maybe for his Council of Twelve. Ah. <laughs> you know, Hickman is, he's pulling from everything. Sure. So, who knows what might come up in you know, the next few issues of X-Men. It, it could be any number of weird dangling plot threads. And there is that upcoming X-Men FF mini uh -huh. that will deal with the X-Men looking to get Franklin to Krakoa. So you'll be the only mutant who had the last mutant who hasn't come to Krakoa. Something like that is the tagline, which. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk about some other things besides the 12, because this book has a lot of cool stuff in it. First of all, how cool was it to see Reed and James talk science? <laughs> Super cool, honestly, because uh, yeah. you, you never get to see James do that, really, with his family or anything. And uh, He's very much a family man, yeah. as opposed to Reed, who is... He talks science all the time, and just getting him to the table to have dinner, that's one. Yeah, yeah. It, it's funny how they are kind of opposite sides of the uh, science coin. Yeah. Where one is a you know, a loving family man and a, and, and a decent scientist, a renowned scientist, but not like 
Yeah, he's not out changing. Well, except for the first issue where he might have blown up the world. He he's known. He's he's respected in the community, but he's not on anybody's like top charts kind of thing. Where right. it's like, who's the who's the best scientist? Nobody's ever like, I don't know. There's Reed Richards, but uh, I'm a Jim Power fan, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. And then yeah, and like you were saying, Reed, who uh, is a, a forefront and foremost a scientist who apparently also has a family from time to time. <laughs> When it's plot convenient. Yeah, when it's plot convenient, that uh, oftentimes he, he's just distracted with him. Even in this issue, it's great. There's a scene, you know, where they're getting ready to fly off in the Fantastic Car, and like Sue saying goodbye to uh, uh, to Franklin, and in the background is Reed looking at his watch. Time to go. Yeah, honey. he's time just like go. he's like, look, uh, I gave you time to say goodbye. We, he know, he knows we're coming back. Come on, he knows us. Let's go. So, <laughs> I mean, you look at Reed and gym next to each other and just you know even the way their body language and their clothes i mean jim is in you know he's in a button-up shirt but it's kind of unbuttoned and the sleeves are rolled up and he looks you know casual and reed is there in his suit and tie looking all formal it's really telling of who these guys are yep but I also just love them looking at the Fantastic Car like they're, you know, two guys holding beers looking at the uh, you know, engine of a truck. Yeah, they, they, they are checking out the family sedan. Yeah. Is what they're doing, you know. Uh, they are, yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, the, the lettering with the, the little, like, almost circuit boardy dialogue bits in there. Yeah, it's like it's really like they typed neat. in. Yeah, it is. It's like they typed in wingding, except like a scientific wingding. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that is really cool. That is. And the fact that Reed and and Jim can talk the same language. Yeah. I mean, they are talking a foreign language. They are talking Latin to each other mm-hmm. for all intents and purposes. This brings us into like the, the, the three panels where there's a cacophony of voices. The, the first one where they're looking at the fantastic car, you see where most of the people are talking, but there's this feeling and sense you get that there's a lot of people. They're all talking about their own things. And it's the regular din of a family like, like the powers combined with Franklin and his family, and that includes the thing and and uh, and Uncle Johnny, and they're just gonna get you know it's all more and more and more. You yeah. go from that one into the next one, which is well, I, oh, just on Andrew. to stick on that one real quick. I love the fact that uh, you know it's like a lot of kind of it's like oh it's a group of people and they're all friends or family and everything, but it's these little separate conversations where uh-huh. you know uh, this is being talked about here, but being completely ignored by this group who's talking about this, and then there's a third group over here talking about this as well, yeah. and then uh, you know there's you know, uh, Ben Grimm in the background just going, uh-huh, yeah, I don't have any kids climbing on me. Yay. Yeah, this is kind of nice. <laughs> you know, I'm not a fan of the children, but I gotta, I gotta fake it for Sue and Stretcho. <laughs> but so kind of glad to just be standing over here. Kind of nobody's talking baseball to me. That's, that's too bad. But, uh, you know, eventually we'll leave. <laughs> <laughs> but you take that one and then you go into the, into the, uh, dinner scene oh yeah. Which is, yeah right at the bottom of the page yeah, yeah which is just page. absolute cacophony where oh, you've yeah. got you know everybody's around the table but they're having a mess of different conversations and it's just surrounded by word balloons yeah it's all about food and how great it is and what's this and what's that food and, oh both of my favorites and <laughs> and then you have poor julie trying to say simis please i want simis yeah. will somebody <laughs> please pass the simis <laughs> <laughs> I am the eldest of three brothers, and uh. this really, f- yeah, this struck home. There's a story, and I'm going to embarrass my wife a little, who will never hear this, so I can do it. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, 
the the first couple times she had dinner with my family she she uh, how do I put this in a nice way? Um, she thought that me and my brothers and my father all hated each other because mm. we were all so loud. Yeah. <laughs> and then she just realized that, oh, that's just how they interact. Yep. And yep. It, it, it gave me this sort of fuzzy feeling reading this panel. I was like, oh, yeah, that's that, that's home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, you don't realize exactly, you know, the level that your family's at until you bring in an outsider. Mm-hmm. And then that outsider has a, is part of it. And they come back to you later saying, how can you speak to your family like that? Well, if I didn't speak to them like that, they would never hear me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, no. My brother is attempting to make me laugh while I'm drinking something so it comes out my nose. <laughs> it's a sign of affection. Exactly. <laughs> No, they, they, yeah, they do it every meal. It, it's just the way it works, on Really? So, yeah, we got this lovely, you know, food scene. And then we have the wonderful pillow fight, <laughs> which you just have. It's taking place in the girls' room, and you just see everybody slapping everybody else with pillows. But there's a couple of fun little things in here where you've got Katie nailing Jack, and apparently she's uh, put her shoes in her pillowcase. <laughs> And she's looking all innocent about it. You have Julie, who's throwing her own little tantrum. You know, if anybody knocks over my ceramic horses, I'll sue. And, and then there's the, you know, there's all these other things going on. And there's the one kind of thread like, hey, how come nobody can hit Frank? He keeps moving out of the way like he knows where they're going <laughs> to <laughs> He's cheating and using his powers. Bravo! Oh, that's great. This pillow fight is uh, Frank's danger room. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he's the only one passing. Yeah, exactly. The sound effects all over the page. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> all the pillow hitting noises. Yeah. The womps and the woofs and the womps. Whether or not, I don't know if those are, if any of these three are going to be on our uh, our favorite list, but the, I'm definitely going to make sure that I put them into our, uh, on our webpage. Yeah. They're, they're, they, they're good. They they're deserve good. to be on there anyway. They're fun. The cost of being a kid hero. Something that's kind of the underlying theme of this is... You got these kids who these horrible things are happening to. And in this one, it's we're really focused on what's happening to Frank. And like those robots coming to murder Frank because it's a giant murder robot. I love comics. Um, yeah. <laughs> but you also have Katie breaking down because just middle of the day, she's really happy about stuff. But all of a sudden, it hits Katie as a young kid. She's dealing with, hey, we've seen horrible things. Yeah, and every now and again, much. I just have to cry. Yeah. Too much, too much. I just want to talk to my parents about it. They can make it better. I've seen too much. Yeah, yeah. but I can't because yeah, can't, we like we, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, and, but at the same time, you've got her like that. But then when she's in the middle of the fight, she's brave. And in the middle of the fight, Frank is coming to terms with the fact that you know, his parents are a fantastic four. His best friends are a power pack. He's scared, but he's trying to act brave yep. like everybody else. Yep. He's like, if Katie can be brave, I should be brave too. Right. Yeah. No, the, I think the cost of being a superhero on a child, I think it'd be on anybody would be pretty devastating, but especially a child. Right. I, I'm a Batman fan, so that's sort of, you know, every day in the comics I read on a regular basis. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Did uh, something happen to Batman when he was a kid? Yeah. I've never... Yeah. Uh, this and, Batman you speak of, tell me more. Yeah. Is, is, he, a, <laughs> is he a new character? He he's kind of obscure, you know. Very few people have heard of him, but but I think he's gonna get big. He's gonna get big. <laughs> All right. Him uh, and his 
myriad in his child army. Let's not forget the child army that follows him around. Oh, None of it... them have been traumatized by that. Oh, okay, is this kind of like is Batman like uh, kind of like an African warlord kind of character or something? <laughs> or... <laughs> I'm just thinking of a child army. That's uh, huh? Wow. Okay, I guess that's taking a, a yeah, modern yeah. take on. Uh... I think this is a whole new pitch that you could probably put together and throw to DC. <laughs> we found you know, a new Batman I, story. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that Warren Ellis or Garth Ennis had to have pitched that at some point. <laughs> oh, frightening. <laughs> oh, boy. Yes, a little bit. Speaking of horrific things that happen to children, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and use that as a way to transition into talking about my library card for this issue. That was a slick transition. I think that was a very good transition. Yeah. Um, that was a good one. Thank you. Uh, during, you know, after we were talking about the, uh, the the scenes with the pillow fight, and, uh, well, dinner and the pillow fight, the last kind of family scene there is Jim Power reading a story to all of the kids. This must be a tradition that they have to read stories to the kids, and you know they're they're doing a special occasion for Frank being there, and they decided to read uh, Mark Twain's *The Prince and the Pauper*. So I was like, "Well, this is really easy. I'm going to look at *The Prince and the Pauper*." And <laughs> luckily, I have the uh, Gramercy leather-bound edition here at my house, which I forgot that I had until my wife reminded me. Like, "Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm actually going to read that. Excellent." So, uh, The Prince of the Pauper uh, was first published in 1881 in Canada before its 1882 publication in the United States. The novel represents Twain's first attempt at historical fiction. Set in 1547, it tells the story of two young boys who are identical in appearance. Tom Canty, a pauper who lives with his abusive father in awful court off Putting Lane in London. And the real Prince Edward, who is son of the real King Henry VIII. It was really fascinating reading through this this uh, story because I don't think I've ever read it before. I was familiar with it, but I'd, I'd never actually read it. And uh, being a, a fan of Disney Plus mm -hmm. and noticing that, oh, look, in Disney Plus they have The Prince and the Popper. So I also watched it as well. It's a really good story. It is really good. And it's also one of those stories that you have seen variations on this theme of, oh, here's two people that look alike. We are going to do something where... I will switch places with you and you know, you'll switch places with me through accident, through magic, freaky Friday. Uh, you've got kind of the parent trap is a little bit of that as well. The beginning of the parent trap. But in this case, it's, you know, a popper, a kid who's, you know, coming from the streets who takes the place of the crown prince right before King Henry's death. And the, uh, the real king, or the real prince who then becomes king, is actually thrown out of the palace and is not able to get back in. And he goes through a whole bunch of misadventures while this poor pauper is trying to figure out how to do, you know, how to run the state. Yeah, wackiness ensues. I, I like the story, but it didn't really have a direct correlation. But I kind of came up with something that is interesting. So hear me out. First off, I believe that this was included in this comic book because it's just a good tale that a parent would read to their children. But I also found this one link. You can look at Frank and see that he is a prince of sorts. He's the son of royalty, and he wants to live as a regular child. In this story, his parents do know where their son is. They have taken their son to a normal family just because, and, and they trust this normal family because this is a safe place. It's what they consider to be safe. Master Mold is, of course, not fooled by this you know, clever deception. He sees deeper than the clothing that's being worn by the man, whereas in the book, 
you know, part of the reason why the prince is not recognized as the prince is because he's in the pauper's clothing. That's something that Frank can't get away from, from Mastermold. Mastermold knows exactly who he is. That is kind of part of it, is that, you know, what really makes this, you know, the kid? Is it the power that he has, or is it the clothes he wears? Because Franklin can pass as a normal child. Eh, it's kind of a little interesting on that. But additionally, you also have the power children who come from normal parents. They're not exactly paupers, mind you, but they're always striving to be royal or be superheroes. So it's kind of interesting juxtaposition I kind of came with. And just as I was reading that, I thought that was kind of an interesting way of looking at these two stories. But to answer Katie's question that she has of when do they find out that Tom Canty isn't really the Prince of Wales? Spoiler alert, that comes after the real king crashes the coronation in the second to the final chapter. Uh, one thing I was disappointed about while reading the story, though, is that um, there was a um, there wasn't really any science. So I got to come to you, Jeff. Jeff, give me some science, man. In this issue, we saw Master Mold sink a tanker ship and convert it into a new giant mechanical body for itself. Well, this got me thinking: How do ships float? The answer to this is buoyancy. Buoyancy, also known as upthrust, is an upward force exerted by a fluid that opposes the weight of an immersed object. In a column of fluid, pressure increases with depth as a result of the weight of the overlying fluid. Thus, the pressure at the bottom of the column of the fluid is greater than at the top of the column. In case you couldn't follow that, this is a fancy way of saying it is the ability to float. So if you put a ship into water, you see that it doesn't sink, but it doesn't exactly float either. A ship partially floats and partially sinks according to its own weight and how much weight it carries. The greater the total of these two weights, the lower it sits in the water. What is going on here can be explained by Archimedes' buoyancy principle, which states that the buoyant force, what keeps the ship afloat, is equal to the weight of the water that is displaced when the ship enters the ocean. If the weight of displaced water is at least equal to the weight of the ship, the ship will float. Basically, if the ship weighs less than the maximum volume of water it could ever push aside, or displace, it floats, but it sinks into the water until its weight and the upthrust exactly balance. The more load you add to the boat, the more it weighs, and the further it will have to sink for the upthrust to balance its weight. Why? Because the pressure of the water increases with depth. The further into the water the boat sinks, without actually submerging, the more upthrust is created. If the ship keeps on sinking until it disappears, it means it cannot produce enough upthrust. In other words, if the boat weighs more than the total volume of water it can displace, it sinks. That's this week's Science Corner, and that's how a ship floats if it doesn't have a Master Mold core unit in it, cannibalizing it to build itself a new body. Back to you, Rick. <laughs> See, I've always just stuck with the theory that um, I put things in the water and see if they float. You know, like witches. Like a duck. Or a small piece of wood. Very tiny rocks. Tiny rocks. <laughs> if all else fails, a wizard did it. <laughs> <laughs> welcome, <laughs> welcome to everything that I believe in life. Or I have seen on a Monty Python movie. <laughs> okay, uh, final thoughts. Let's talk about the refrigerator gallery. What piece of art in the book needs to be on the family refrigerator? I will start with our guest and talk about any of the funny backup ones that you have. Matt. So my backup joke is on page 22, the last page. It's panel two, right after Alex has expended all his energy and he, I call it simply, wow. <laughs> As Alex just kneels there looking completely stunned by having pretty much atomized a giant robot. Yeah. yeah. His hair's all crazy and he's just like 
staring off into space. Yeah, my body should not have done what it just did. Owie, 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 owie. Yeah, I like how exhausted he looks and how his hair is kind of frazzled out and how he's actually, like, steaming. And you can just see the weariness in the entire body. Oh, it's, it's yeah. a good, It's a good drawing. Yeah, that is really good. There's a lot of good art in here. Yeah, there's a lot of good art. Uh, John Bogdanoff's just amazing. Jeff, what do you got for a backup funny one? My backup funny one is on page one. The very front. I know it's a splash page. Hmm. And I call it Talk to the Hand. (laughs) (laughs) So, so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And this is the uh, one where uh, Dream Franklin is running away from a giant left, uh, the the giant left hand of Master Mold that's coming up out of the ground, you know, saying, gonna have to squish you because you're a 12th. You know, it's funny. It's weird because the language in this is kind of, is kind of odd. Yeah. Because it's Franklin dreaming the words, but the the word bubble is coming out of this thing's wrist. Yeah. It's coming out of his hand. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. That's my joke backup one. What about you, Rick? I'm going to go to page nine. And I call this one Real Subtle Theft. And this is on the bottom. <laughs> and this is where uh, the, the guy has discovered <laughs> the beeping box of uh, Master Mold. Yeah, it's Corey. And, yeah. and, and, you know, he's so like, you know, it kind of starts off with he's digging in this, you know, wreckage. He finds the box and he does that sly. I'm looking over my shoulder. Nothing happening here <laughs> as he's shoving this beeping box into his jacket. <laughs> it's it's the look you you give when you're stealing something and you're trying to look nonchalant. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Nothing to see Nothing here. Nothing to see here. I am not looking shifty at all. <laughs> what do you got for your funny, funny one there, Matt? Uh, well, mine is on the Bottom of page six. I call it the thing that ate the canary. (laughs) Bog just draws this. I wish he drew the thing more because the expression on Ben Grimm's face as he smells the cooking bread. I don't think I've ever seen the thing look more content in any comic than this. Like his arms are behind his back and his, his head is thrust out and he's. Nostrils are flared. He's got this smile on his face, and it's just like, oh, Ben's happy. Yeah, he's smelling. He's happy with the knowledge that there is fresh bread in this house. Mm-hmm. More, I live within walking distance of Bob's Bread Mill and Dave's Killer Bread, so I've got these two bakeries that are roughly in my neighborhood. Certain mornings, I get out there, and I it's just I, I have that same look of just. There is my, my street smells like baking bread. Yeah, it's this a good is smell. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it's a really good smell. Hillary's uh, started baking bread, and it's kind of like, hmm, something's going on that I like. Oh, bread. Yeah. <laughs> I smell me getting fat. Yeah. How about you? What do you got for your top one? My top funny one is on page sixteen, and I call it "It's a Dance Off, Bro." It is the middle right-hand panel, and it is uh, it's after Master Mold has uh, blasted Power Pack with an energy beam that uh, Alex has absorbed, and they've crashed into the ground. But it's just great, because Master Mold's uh, got his arms up in the air, and is all twisted and everything. It looks like he's dancing. He's yeah. dancing, and he beat Power Pack in a dance-off. He, he's in the midst of his dance, and it looks like Power Pack has failed, because they have all fallen to the ground. Exactly. His his dance foo is... Let the bodies hit the floor. Let the bodies hit the floor. Let the bodies hit the floor. 
Yep. Let the pack hit the floor. Let the pack <laughs> hit the floor. Let the pack hit the... Yeah. All right. But yeah, I just thought that it just cracked me up because he's just twisting and juking and jiving. He looks great. I am going to go ahead and choose from my top funny one on page 12. So what we got here is we got Master Mold coming out of the harbor. And he is he has ended up on a dock. And so like as he's attacking the dock, there is these set of six people at the bottom. And my... I'm just asking, who the heck are these people? I know. I actually even, because they kind of make a point of this being the uh, 79th Street Boat Basin. Yeah. And I'm like, this has got to be a reference to something. Because there's a, they seem all kind of like characters. And a couple of them seem very far right hand one has a face of nightmares that has haunted me for 31 years. Yes. Uh, Because she just has, it's not a human's face kind of thing. It seems like it has to be off of some comic strip or some something. cartoon I don't or something. Like, this is, like, some sort of, like, you know, popular thing. It was like, oh, I loved the, whatever, the, the, the Boat Livers show from the 50s, you know, kind of thing. You know, I, I think the guy looks kind of like there's a Popeye sort yeah. of eye there. Sort yeah. of a very old Popeye, yeah. but, yeah, it's... And, 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 but without the forearms. Yeah, and so, like, you, you've got, like, this family... The guy looks a little Asian. Yeah, it's a mixed family. Yeah, um, and and like the lady's saying, yeah. "Oh no, must be a tanker wake." And the guy says, "Whoa, a suck out." And the kid looking up, worse, a giant killer robot on the rampage. And then there's this other random guy looking up and thinking, and the Popeye looking guy looking up thinking, giant killer robot on the rampage. And then this weird society kind of lady. Don't worry. It's only trashing sea doc. Who are these people? Yeah, it really is that. <laughs> it's kind of like, are these friends of Boggs or are they a show or a cartoon? I don't or know. Just it's just, it, I'm calling it funny, but it's more of confusing. I'm just like, who are these people? There's that. There's that. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, let's, let's move on to what we consider the best, best art in here. Let's go ahead and start with, uh, we'll start with Jeff this time, go back around the other way. My backup best one is on page 21, and I call it Malformed Mayhem. There's two panels on this page, and uh, I pick the top panel. It is the uh, recently reformed Master Mold in his very kind of, you know, just messed up, morphed, wrong, he's, he's robot-ish. Used, he's just used the... the construction equipment around this site yeah it's the bro- yeah construction equipment and uh, broken up highway right is he, what hasn't, they said he hasn't bothered building. to reform it yet so it's these parts yeah so he's only about like you know uh, nine feet tall at this stage or something but yeah it's got like a like a, a scoop arm and he's just really creepy looking and this is when alex has you know absorbed his previous robot body entirely and he's just bloated with energy so he's malformed as well so it's it's two malformed characters getting ready to go at it it's 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 just you know it looks really cool. Yeah. I enjoy the way that this looks. Yes, yes. Yeah, we're going to come back to that page. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. What, what do you have for your backup there, uh, Matt? Well, you can just turn back one page to page 20, uh, because mine is the first appearance of that malformed master mold on uh, the middle panel of the bottom row where he first shows up, and he's haggard and his jaws off to the side. And it's kind of like a scoop that has become his lower jaw, and he's just going, mutants die. 
and it's, it's I, I call it Frankenstein Sentinel because it's just <laughs> cobbled together monstrosity. It is, and it looks yeah. really cool. It does. Uh, this is an. I was actually want, glad you brought you picked this one because this is a panel that I've remembered for thirty years. Of nearly everything in this, that that's almost most cartoonish thing. Yeah. Except for that lady on Doc C. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. But it, it's it's almost cartoonish the way that Master Mold is is, be, is together and it's being shown, which mm-hmm. is yeah very. Very interesting. Yeah, but I, I do. I remember that panel from 30 years ago. It's it's kind of crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, that is that is a great-looking piece of art. Um, I would like you guys to go to page 13. And, uh, yeah, this is kind of after Master Mold has trashed Sea Doc. Uh, and the kids are on a playground, and they've been on a set of swings. Mm-hmm. And they see Master Mold coming in through this park. And they jump off the, screen, uh, the swings, and they're changing into their costumes. And, they, and like, you know. Katie starts to fly. This is a very detailed picture. It is almost like a photo. The the, the way the trees are drawn and how, and the shade in the in the park, it's just it's very beautiful. It is. I, I, I don't know what it is. I, it's there's more action scenes, but there's something about this that there's just a lot of detail and a lot of work that went into this one little scene. Oh no, it was it was on my list. It's a great one, and especially I like all the ones where they're showing scale of Master Mold. Yeah, because this you know. This has the park in the foreground, and this has Master Mold in the background. You just see his upper torso through the trees. It's it's no, it's a good piece of art. Yeah. All right, uh, Jeff. Top one. My top one is on page ten, and I call it the Life Aquatic. <laughs> <laughs> and it is on the uh, it is the top right hand panel, and this is uh, yeah, call it strawberry, because man, this is my jam. Oh. <laughs> oh, oh. Yeah. It is a uh, it is an upshot in the ocean looking up at the newly reformed master mold and uh you know he's fully submerged he's fully aquatic but there's a boat uh going on the surface you know uh just boating along past him you know going over his head doesn't even know there's a giant killer robot underneath it so i just i love the way this looks matt what do you got for your top one um well for me uh we got to go back to page seven i went with one of those the the panels we talked about earlier Mm -hmm. in this case what I call, oh boy, my favorite yeah. family dinner. <laughs> it's the, the use of space, the, the the placement of the word bubbles. And then when you look at the kids and you see, you know, Julie just shaking her spoon in rage and Katie, you know, their, her, her, her pigtails and kind of standing up and everyone else is sort of like being, being there. It, it's such a really cool use of the, the medium and the way word bubbles work. And it's just, it's a great panel. It is great. I also love the fact that uh, you're observing it from kind of like the living room, looking in at the dining room. It's like so much was going on there and so much word bubbles and everything. They had to pull back into another room just to encompass it all. And yeah, it's great. It is really, really cool. And they had to pull a separate chair in from somewhere to make sure that Franklin had his own chair. Oh my goodness, you're right. <laughs> wow, yeah. We have a tradition in this comic book, that in this podcast, true. of making sure that we count our chairs at the table. Yeah, th- there's that. Uh, here's the great thing on that is he has the only off-looking chair. Everything, yeah, because, everybody else has, because uh, they have exactly enough chairs for their family. Yeah. They had to bring in a spare chair for... Yeah. For, yeah, for company. For and it was just like, ah, oh, it's in, it's in Dad's room. Go get it. Yeah, yep. yep. <laughs> I mean, it's a New York apartment. You, you don't have that much space. They so. do. 
<laughs> they totally do. They got a yeah, great apartment. Yeah, yeah. All right, um, I'm going to go ahead and go back to page 21 because um, really, uh, when I had chosen mine, I kind of said page 21, all of it. So yeah, you chose the you chose, chose the top, top picture. You can have the bottom. I'll take the bottom picture. Can I guess what you called it? Sure. Blast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a uh, the giant Alex bomb going off. Uh, you see blast just above the top. You just see this giant small sun. And you see, like, the rest of Power Pack, minus Alex, flying away, screaming, Alex! So, yeah. It's a good panel. It's That's, good. It, that is a great-looking page. It yeah, really it's, a, it's a great page up and down. All right. We, we got we to do some more insulting of each other. I mean, we've done a lot already tonight. Yeah, it's, um, what, it's what buddies do. It's what buddies do. You know, we're, we're three yeah. friends. We get along. And, um, you know... You guys are both jerks, but that's beside the point. So you're just jealous about- that you're not into our Hallmark movies. If you were in our uh, home, our romantic Hallmark uh, movie club, then you would be a lot less upset. You'd be uh, you'd be pretty chill because you'd be like, "Hey, man, it's all cool. Vanessa Hudgens gonna find love." So moving on to the uh, rubber and glue moment. Um, what is the? Uh, well, you guys are talking about your Hallmark. I'm just gonna go ahead and tell what my backup one is here. Nobody cares, man, because nope. you know why? Mm-hmm. That night, I fall in love with Vanessa Hudson. All right, uh, let's go ahead and do uh, page 18. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, this is by... I, th- I think you're going to pick my same rubber, yeah. Oh, yeah? Yeah, Jack? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead then, sir. Yeah, I, I think... Do you Everybody? have that same backup one, too? Uh, that one, yes, indeed. <laughs> Jeff, if you will do the honor, sir. All right, so three out of three podcasters agree that their backup uh, rubber moment is Jack saying, Yo, Buckethead, you've had it, jerk face. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Yeah. yeah, that's a good that's one. a good backup. Yeah, that's a great one. It, it, it is it's it's perfect. Yep. You know, it, I I was I had a second backup in case that one was taken, but since all three of us did it, then I think we're good. <laughs> think oh, we're we good. are always willing to share, buddy. We are always willing to share that. <laughs> I, I think we're all going to have the same top one. What was your backup uh, backup one, if you won't mind? Oh, not at all. Uh, that is on page fifteen, and it's Katie when. Jack is falling after that punt. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, her response after he's like, pardon me, as I will never be able to do this as well. Yo, Katie, you caught me. And her response is, of course, doofus. <laughs> doofus is just a good word. It's it's the it's on the lighter side of the insults. It's very endearing. It's, yeah, I like it. I like it. I like it a lot. My backup backup one was uh, an Alex one talking to Jack when he was cleaning the bathroom because he calls him jerk face and that. Yeah. But then this one just had you know, Jack saying it, which is always better saying jerk face, but he also says more stuff. So yeah, we'll just move ahead to page 15. Oh my goodness. How yeah. did you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we'll just kind of sit back here and, uh, and let Jack do his business. And, and just let Jack have his fun. Yeah. This is when, uh, Jack is trying to degrab master mold and, you know, fling him, but you know, he's going to get punted, but he's, uh, insulting master mold while he's trying to lift him up saying, okay, you big transformer reject, get ready to take a dive. Oomph. What do you transform into anyway? A giant mechanical tub of lard? <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Now, that's... This is in the age of Transformers, yeah, anyways. I, I mean, you know, you know tra- Transformers were a big deal back then. So you got that going on for mm-hmm. you, Jack. And dang. I mean, <laughs> Jack can throw the insults down. Yeah, he knows how to insult a, uh, animate inanimate object. <laughs> You know, you got to say for uh, his first issue writing, uh, Bogdanov really has the, the character voices down yes, pretty well. Pretty does. good. I think he's a little off on Frank. 
just a bit. I think yeah. he overdoes it just a touch with Frank's voice. But uh, you know what, though, I'm I'm willing to say that he may have actually brought Frank down to the right level. Okay. Because uh, yeah, Frank's Frank, a, Frank, Frank's a smart kid, but he yeah, is but he's four not, and a half. Yeah, he's four and a half, and he's not the you know very almost genius level of the power kids because right. they're all very advanced for their ages. Where it's just like, oh, you know, Katie taught herself how to read at this age, and da 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 da. So yeah. So I, but I mean, he definitely has a little bit of a different voice for Frank, yep. but I think it's fine that he brought him down a little bit. Okay. So. I think it is a fine voice. I just think it, it's different it's than different. what has been previously established. Fair enough. But you are correct, yeah. though. I, John Bogdanov, he is familiar with these kids. He's yeah. been drawing them. He's been working with these. I mean, you know, as he says in the front, he, you know, they've got inspiration or nurturing and inspiration by Judy, Wheezy, and Walt. He's got some good people behind him helping him out and, you know, making sure he's doing the right thing. Well, also, Carl Potts is uh, still editing this, too. And I think a lot of the right voices come from Carl Potts being the editor. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah. Carl Potts really seems yeah. to... Uh, yeah, he he seems to... It's like he cares about this title. Yeah. He really does, yeah. This is going to be the hard one because we got stars in detention. And, I mean, all the kids did a really good job, but... We got to give one the star. We got to give one the detention. Yep. So I'm kind of curious as to where we're going to go with this. Well, we start with detention kids. And again, uh, I think like Rick intimated, it is, this is going to be, and again, like Rick intimated, this is kind of going to be a begrudging uh, detention assignment. And it's just because all the kids were really great, but we have to have a detention kid. Yeah. I had a hard time with this one. It's going to be a lot of splitting hairs. But... Yeah, it will be. We're going to start with detention kid. Uh, Matt, you're our guest. How would you like to start that up? Oh boy, I was really hoping I didn't have to do this one. Um, do you want do you want to go last? <laughs> no, no, I'll go. I'll go. Rip the band-aid off, bud. Yeah, exactly. You know, I looked at the volume of stuff that each kid did, and I think Julie did the least. I get that. So yeah. I, I gotta go with Julie. What, what she did when she was doing stuff, she did it really well. But, you know, she didn't have a big bang heroes moment. She like did not. You were correct. Most of the yeah. other kids did. So that that's why I have to give it to Julie. No offense to you, Julie. You did, you did a good job, but just you didn't have that one panel that I could pull out and be like, that's that, that's that moment. It was the Julie moment where she was amazing and it saved the day or tipped the scales or anything. Right. I, I fully understand that. Yeah. And I, I think I can agree with you on that one as well, that along, I'll, I'll, she's got my worst vote as well. Along with that, I think I'm willing to also give her some negative points for, uh, during the dinner scene and during the uh, pillow fight scene, <laughs> she was the one that was complaining the most. Yeah, uh, she had, yeah, so, she had her arms up in the air. Yeah, she's like, I want my tzatzimis. Okay, settle down, Julie. Nobody better break my horses. Settle down, Julie. We're having a good time. Just, just <laughs> chill, chill pill, chill pill. So yeah, I, I I'll back you up on that one. I, I will also throw my my dime against her. I guess. Okay, I cannot fault either of you for your choice of Julie. Mm -hmm. My choice is Alex. Okay. And uh, it's because he once again was bemoaning the fact that, you know, it's like, oh, Jack is doing stuff with my old power set that I never even thought to do. Woe is me. I can't even blow up a robot. You know, he uses his powers in the bathroom with the doors open. You know, Jack has to, you know, tell him, hey, dude, you got to protect your powers. Although I thought that was funny because the doors open and Jack's yelling at his brother going, what are you doing showing off your powers? What if mom or dad came in? It's like, well, you're doing it too. I closed the door. It's like, okay, you know, you know, they're just, 
they're in the same house, man. You know, you can't yell about using your powers. At least put a little whisper sign up there or something. And uh, the fact, too, that Alex wanted to prove himself so hard that when he was absorbing uh, Master Mold's original form, he wasn't, like, off-charging. Right. He was just like, gotta get it all at once. It's like, you don't really have to. You could just go eat, purge, eat, binge, you know, whatever. Yeah, I, I, the only reason he would have done that is if there was a part of this book that had to get cut for space. Mm-hmm. If they had tried it once before and they saw Master Mold rebuilding himself, yeah, they're like, super oh, fast. We, we have to do this in one go. Okay. Maybe then we could have gotten there. But I, I kind of gave myself, I gave Alex the off on this because it was very impressive how we finally got rid of it. And that, that solved a lot for me. Okay. But I, but I, 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 I do get that. I just, uh, again, it's it's that. Yeah. Yeah, you know, uh, I I know you know like you guys were kind of picking Julie. Yeah, you know, it's like she didn't get that hero's moment. I get that. So, yeah. but that puts it in neutral, and I'm kind of taking the the pluses and the negatives of action. So I'm kind of like, uh, Alex had a, more negatives than anybody else. So, Fair but enough. again, again, begrudging. All the kids were great. Yeah. All right. Um, you know, you had to do the 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 tough job of who the worst one was. We'll let you say who your favorite one is. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay. So for this one, I you know part of me wanted to you know give it to alex because i, I have a soft spot for alex why well, uh, he's the cyclops <laughs> of the group <laughs> no he's he, not uh, because <laughs> i didn't read power pack as a kid so when i came to these characters one of my first real exposures was alex in the future foundation okay in not the current incarnation the you know when he right. first joined during the human stuff so it was like Oh, this is a character I know coming in when I started reading these. So I've got a soft spot for him. Mm-hmm. But honestly, this is Frank's issue. Yeah. I mean, he winds up, you know, having the moment where he stands up to the master mold to protect his friends, even though he knows it might get him squished. And he's, you know, he's willing to sacrifice himself for his friends. And yeah, I mean, he, he you know probably should have told his parents that he was having a prophetic dream about giant robots. Why start now? Yeah. (laughs) He's a little kid. He was going to lose out on, you know, let's face it. It's the family he wants to be with. (laughs) Yeah. So I, I I gotta go, gotta give this one to Franklin. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good choice. Good, good choice. How about you, Rick? I'm following you once again. I just was going to say that it took a lot of guts for him to do what he did at the end. I mean, he, He's like, okay, the, this thing knows that I've got this power, so he, my power that I've got, it d- can't work against him. i got to do something to save my friends, so I'm going to throw rocks at it. <laughs> i got nothing else I can do, but I'm yep. going to, you know, I'm going to distract it while my friends get out of the hole. Yep, I got that. No, uh, again, Frank was an awesome choice. So, uh, my star pupil was Alex. Hang on a second. Don't think about it too hard. Alex was really great in this because, uh, you know, he, he figured out a new use for his powers to clean the bathroom. Hang on a second. So he was using new power training. He uh, destroyed, you know, he just near sacrificed himself to destroy the original Master Mold. One second. And he then destroyed you know, the, the follow-up form. So uh, Alex did a lot of really good stuff. Now I'm trying to remember something here. Oh, don't think about that, man. Don't think about that. That was the past. Now are, it's the future. Let's live in the now. Are you breaking my rules again? Uh, What rules? <laughs> What rules, Rick? You're I don't supposed abide to by choose your rules. a different character. <laughs> nope. Picking the same character because uh, I thought he did the worst stuff, but I also thought he did the best. So I'm picking Alex for my star people. I do what I want. I'm a rebel. I'm a bad boy. Chicks dig that. <laughs> it would have helped if you actually read the book. 
I, I got a glance at it as we were looking through uh, saying pages and looking at art pictures. <laughs> Do you ever have to put up with this on your side of the uh, the pond, man? I mean, you know, when you're dealing with your co-host... I'm I sure mean, Dan's fun. Uh, seriously, I, I just... I, no. I, uh, part of me is dying here, man. <laughs> I know, and I live off that. Mmm, delicious. Rick's misery. It's on your pain and tears. Not much. Flames. Flames on the side of my face, burning, heaving, <laughs> heaving breaths. All right. Uh, G-Force? G-Force, we have zero Gs. And uh, zero Gs can be found in a master mold after it finishes the <laughs> Alex Powers diet. <laughs> And that gives us a G average of 0.86, which is just less than the surface gravity of Uranus, which is, again, not a joke, but the seventh planet from the sun. And we have a G total of 31. You're right. Uranus is not a joke. You, you are, are, sir. You are. <laughs> <laughs> so that's G-Force. There we go. All right. Now we got an interesting job. We need to uh, rank this book. We do are doing top grades. We like to evaluate each issue against the rest of the series. And at the moment, Power Pack number 25 holds the top spot. Somewhere in the middle, out of uh, 39 issues, yeah. uh, around 20, we've got Power Pack 14. That's where the boogeyman kidnaps Katie. And the kids sneak out of school to rescue her. And all the way at the bottom, we've got <laughs> a number 39 X-Factor annual number two which um where so much happened that nothing happened yeah there was way too much going on that that uh issue and uh we really we didn't like a lot of it <clears throat> so uh <laughs> so I, I i'm gonna definitely say that this is higher than halfway point here i can see that um uh, does anybody have a feeling about what they where they think this should, should go matt you have any opinions um i mean i i was thinking that same sort of upper middle area somewhere in the mid teens okay. yeah. uh, somewhere around somewhere around 15 16 okay well let's talk about 15 and 16 so uh, yeah number 15 is power pack number 13 that's the baseball game that's where the old player wants to blow up the stadium mm-hmm. thing is is that uh, that's really a one-off issue uh, this is for better or for worse, this is part of a, a of an interesting storyline that eventually goes nowhere. But right about now, it, it's kind of one of those bubbling plots that was very interesting at the time. It doesn't really advance a lot of Power Pack's plot, but it kind of keeps this interesting timeline going behind. Okay, so, so um, do you feel this is better than uh, baseball? I think this is a little bit better than that baseball one. Okay. Above yeah. that, we have the couple of issues... The one where Alex and Johnny get in a fight, and the one where Katie is found in the caves up uh, on Snark World. A lot of jackal fights here in the first issue. Actually, that that's interesting. Um, how do we feel about this against the first issue of Power Pack? Hmm. Hmm. I mean, the first issue does a lot of really strong world building. Yeah. Actually, actually, no. you're right. I like that. I like where you're going with that. Uh, the one below that is uh, Power Pack number 17, where they first fight Jackal. This is a very comparable one, mm-hmm. because it's Power Pack in the park with Franklin, and that's where they first meet Franklin, and they get attacked by a monster. Yeah. This one is 
Frank is the power pack in the park with Franklin, and they get attacked by a monster. A monster. Yeah. So, all right, this is where we're this is where we're at. I think. Okay, let's see Do where it like is around. Do we like this one 12. more or less than where they first meet Franklin and they fight Jackal? I think I would put that one above this only because that one is more important to the power pack mythos as a whole. Mm-hmm. It introduces Jackal. It adds Frank. Yeah. I, I I definitely agree with you on that. I think that I think that there's a perfect point. I think that I th- I'm happy with this going up against the uh, the one where Alex and Johnny fight. I like that issue. I well, just this think, is the one where the kids go sledding. And yeah, it, it's the pre pre fight. It's yeah, where pre-fight. yeah 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 Alex chucks you know yeah, uh, Johnny yeah. rival one armed one handed really, uh, into the snow. Yeah, yeah, there really isn't. I mean, it's a good issue, but there's no big fight like there's a big fight in this one. So I'm willing to put this one above the the snow issue there. I am absolutely accepting of this uh, being the new number 13. Excellent. That's a way we work together to come up with a good place for it. Mm -hmm. Well done, guys. All right. Um, That leaves us with our final thoughts on our beer. Tell us what your uh, your final thoughts on your beer is. Uh, if I remember right, it is... Paradox Pilsner. Paradox Pilsner. Thank you for my, my, my voice, <laughs> the voice in my head. It's, it's so bass. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's good. I mean, I, I've, you know, been sipping away at it slowly but surely, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with it. Uh, you know, on the Powerball scale, I would probably give it a you know a three and a half you know it's it's there it's you know won't be you know like oh my god i must run out and track this down and have more of it but it's you know would it's something i would happily have again well it's one that i'm gonna have to look for and try to find myself it sounds good i like pilsners and i think that's a good recommendation from you sir jeff i see that you have finished your omega from e9 brewing uh, yeah, so my beer's gone and has been gone for a little bit, so I'll just have to give this off of a recollection. Uh, I found it to be <laughs> less an IPA and a lot more uh, just like a really nice citrus beer. It's a, It seems like it was a very citrus uh, half. Uh, I really enjoyed the flavor. It, the aftertaste on it is really pretty good. It's a, it's, it's a very, very pleasant beer. Uh, having been away from it for a little bit, though, I'm feeling like I have a little bit of a headache, which you can get off some beers, so I'm not sure if that's related to the beer or not. I know that like, uh, I've had some really good like doppelbox where i'm like oh i absolutely love this but oh man my brain is hurting <laughs> so i don't know if that's a beer related thing or not but i i'm really enjoying this i would 100 percent drink it again i'm giving it four power balls yeah i'm i'm with you i'm enjoying this one too it's uh it's got a good flavor it's got the heavy citrus it does not have a real big hops yeah it taste on it doesn't have that uh rusted nails kind of mm-hmm. tongue squeeze on it there's it hits your mouth and at no point does it no part of your mouth goes Ugh. you never make a face when you're drinking it it's all just like oh yeah that's this, is, I really this enjoy is a that. good one for people who want to drink an ipa but don't like the taste of IPAs. yeah <laughs> this would this it might be just one of those really good uh starter models for people that want to yeah. drink ipas because they're like i don't know i hear they're really bitter and stuff and you try them on this and they're like oh i can handle that i could really handle that well so yeah i'm, I'm gonna see your four and i'm gonna go ahead and go with you on that one too okay. it's bouncing a little bit before we, between four and four and a half but i think yeah. i think i'm good with the four as well so I, that's a double couple of fours for us for this yeah i was doing the same bounce i was like four four and a half four four and a half eh, i'm a hate-filled creature four <laughs> <laughs> 
And now that we've talked about being hate-filled creatures and beers, let's talk to a child about the issue at hand. And that because this is kids' perspective time. So Rick and Carrie, have a little talk and tell us your tale. Hi, Carrie. Hi, Daddy. How are you today? Good. And you? I'm doing pretty good for a wet Saturday outside. Yeah, it's pouring. It's pouring with the hand sprinkles. <laughs> Tell me about this comic book. What's going on in this comic? There's this big robot monster. And what's he trying to do? Um, I think he was trying to get Franklin. Was he trying to capture Franklin or did he want to kill Franklin? Kill Franklin. That's not very nice, is it? Aren't, villains all, aren't all villains not nice? Most of them. I would say most of them. Why was Franklin uh, with Power Pack? Because his parents again left him. They left him and they left him where? The Powers house. Uh-huh. And he was over for a... Sleepover? Yeah, sleepover. And uh, what, what were some of the things that he did with the power pack that night? They had a pillow fight. And when they were eating dinner, he was like, oh boy, my favorite to like everything. <laughs> and uh, they also read a book together, right? Mm-hmm. It's a pretty nice sleepover, wasn't it? What were some of your favorite parts about this book? Well, that was one of my favorite parts. So like it, um, when Alice is just like, what is he doing with the floor? He's uh, disintegrating the top layer of germs. Yeah. You like when he's doing that? Yeah. Good way to clean the bathroom. Was there a favorite panel that you really loved a lot? I think my favorite panel that I really loved a lot was when they were eating dinner. That was a very fun panel, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. What about the cover? What did you think of the cover? I like it. And when I first saw Franklin hanging, I'm like, that's the only difference there. And then I saw his hand. So Franklin's hanging off of the Power Pack title and the hand's about to crush the Power Pack title. Mm -hmm. It's kind of neat, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Anything else you want to talk about? No. No? You sure? I'm sure. Don't you want to say how much you love your daddy? Okay. I love my daddy more than 100%. More Aww. than 1,000%. Aw, what about more than 3,000? More than 330 3,000? I'll 3, take it. 3,300, whatever. I'll take it. Thank you very much. I love you, Carrie. Love you, too. Shout out time! We love to recognize those listeners that take time to write in or leave us a review. And so we uh, like to give them a good shout out here. You know what I mean? I don't know what's going on with my voice. If you know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. We'll give some shout outs. So we're going to shout out for episode 44, Power Pack number 33. Special effects. Al Sedano in Resurrections and Adam Warlock in Thanos Podcast. Andrew Burns. The Art Classroom. Between the Pages. Charles Gears. Charlie Rose. Chris at BTO and Bat Books. Comics in the Golden Age. Craig McNichol. Colin Stapleton and the Worst Comic Podcast Ever. David H. Adler. Gary Key. Gibson Gray, who says, Great news, I need to pull this issue out again and have a reread. I actually forgot that Boganov drew this. Green Lantern HG. Jeff Polier. Jeremy Daw. Jeremy Wiggins. Jonathan Schaefer Hames and the Married with Comics podcast. Katie Pride and Books with Pictures, one of Portland's best comic book shops specializing in LGBT, indie, and local comics. Keith Baker. Kyle Sinelli. OK Boomall. Matthew Fenner. Max Traver. Sailor Bear Zodar. Ryan Daly. And Rick is not taking the bait. No, sir. 
Sean and the Secret Wars and Beyond podcast. Scott Sutton Johnson. Sean Wynn and Strange Solutions. Tim Price, the Podcrasher. We got a pretty interesting message from Andrew Burns right before Thanksgiving through Facebook. He reads the Power Pack Thanksgiving issue annually as a tradition, and he decided to do some digging on the Marvel Unlimited app, and he found a couple of interesting things. The first is Franklin Richards' Son of the Genius Happy Thanksgiving, a collection of some of the Son of a Genius shorts regarding Thanksgiving. We regularly feature some of these Son of a Genius shorts on our Patreon episodes. The second thing he found was a mention of Power Pack by Magneto in Vision and the Scarlet Witch number 6 from 1985. In that book, Magneto crashes a holiday party hosted by Vision and Scarlet Witch. The heroes assembled are not happy. This is during the time when he was a good guy and was running the Xavier School for Mutants. Magneto thinks to himself at one point during the party that he should be with the new mutants, but they wanted to go hang out with Power Pack. This is really interesting because it looks like this comic came out the same month as Power Pack number 20, where Power Pack meets some of the new mutants for, for the first time right around Christmas when Maggie was in the hospital. So the holidays being celebrated are kind of wrong and intertwined, but this is a really interesting crossover. So thanks for bringing that to our attention, Andrew. Yeah, that was interesting. Me and Rick both actually uh, read that uh, comic issue, that Scarlet Witch number six. Uh And uh, I can personally say for myself that it is weird. It is wacky. Yeah, it is. uh, Everybody's a superhero dressed up in their costumes, having Thanksgiving together. And then Magneto shows up. And then Magneto shows up dressed in just like a sweater and stuff. But he was also invited. Yeah. Yeah, every yeah, cuz like uh Quicksilver is talking to Scarlet which like what why didn't you tell me who's coming? And she's like ah, it was last minute and he was here and he knew that I was having it so I felt bad to not invite him. But yeah, it's just super weird all these heroes just Captain America's in his mask having, you know, carving a turkey. You know, it's it's it was very very odd. I had never read that before i didn't know never there even was heard a power of it, yeah. pack mentioned in there yeah. it just is strange yeah it is it's awesome to hear a power pack reference but at the same time it's like this is a odd little twin peaks moment in the marvel <laughs> universe <laughs> be sure to check out some of the other shows that we're on um right now you can find some of our junior agent submissions on mi6 rookie agents episodes of on her majesty's secret podcast where jeff continuously fails to answer any of my pop quizzes <laughs> I think I've gotten one fully right. <laughs> That's pretty good. I mean, not enough to not get shot, but you know. Yeah. It's st- they're still fun. And we have some merchandise available on Redbubble. Go to redbubble.com and search for Unpacking the Power of Power Pack. And we are on YouTube. You can find our channel at Jeff and Rick Present. Matt, where can people find you? My Twitter handle is MattLaz1013, where I am attempting to once again wade into Twitter and not let it crush my soul so please follow me and tweet nice things about comics because i like to hear that you can also find my weekly column bonus reading where i look at that week's comics pick one and write about four other stories with a common character creator or theme and my monthly columns this month in gotham about batman and pod people where i interview comic podcasters about their shows one of which was of course jeff and rick present unpacking the power of power pack yeah Um, on uh, all of that can be found on wmqcomics.com and where I'm also the co-host of our weekly interview podcast WMQ&A with site editor and my longtime best friend Dan Grote which drops wherever you listen to podcasts every Tuesday. Check it out. It's good stuff. Yeah, and doing the uh, interviews with you were a lot of fun. I really enjoyed those. <laughs> Thanks guys. You're welcome. Jeff and Rick present is a bi-weekly self-produced podcast recorded in front of a live studio audience of one unmade bed. 
Yay! In Portland, Oregon, and Pensacola, New Jersey. If you would like to interact with us through the magic of the internet, you can do so through Twitter at Jeff and Rick Present, our Facebook page, Jeff and Rick Present, our email address, Jeff and Rick Present, all one word, at gmail.com, or at our website, Jeff and Rick Present.wordpress.com. And if you would like to help support our show, we are on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com, Jeff and Rick Present, all one word. We are a supporter of the Hero Initiative, and we will be donating 10% of our Patreon donations to this great cause. We encourage everyone to give what they can to this worthwhile organization that helps the creators who provide us with such great content. Go to heroinitiative.org to find out more. Please rate and review us wherever you can. Tell your friends about us or share your love for us on social media. And as always, we want to thank the powerful people in our packs. My wife, Cindy, and our daughter, Carrie. My fiance, Hillary, and our daughter, Aurora. My wife, Amber. We We love love you. Until next time, costumes off. Our theme music is 80s action. Also featured in this episode is Killers. All music is by Kevin McLeod at Competech.com and is licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. Okay. All right. Jeff, what do you want? Uh, I'll take Don't Just Stand There, Fire Back, because then I get to sit down and kind of just think about stuff for a while. All right. Get to partake of and listen to the uh, audio medium that you guys are going to dulcetly lay down at my feet. For for somebody who wants to just sit there and like, you know, not think or talk about things, you sure have a lot to say. I know. I'm a, uh, there's a dichotomy to me. I would call it more of a diarrhea of the mouth. Yeah, there's a little bit of that too. (laughs) I've been told that uh, I like the sound of my own voice and that is not incorrect. (laughs) Rim shot. First of all, we know from Jeff's data that 80% eat that. Rim shot. A gigantic studio. Rim shot. The resourceful regenerating robot reconstructs with the reusable refuse and wreckage. Rebuilt and reset, the reconfigured relic restarts its records and rummages for a reference of its research. Bravo! Yay! Good job, Matt. Thank you. Was that in one or did you practice that? <laughs> Oh, I practiced that. That, that, That's probably the third or fourth time I've done that today. Nice. Yeah, we we write them, but then we forget about them. Then we kind of do them cold, so we usually stumble through. But we've had other people on that have been like, it's like, hey, good job. And they're like, I was doing that in front of my wife for half an hour today. (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, Amber heard it a couple times. I did it a couple times on my lunch break. It's like, okay, I'm going to get through this one. I think there's some other alliteration that I'm going to stumble over. But that one, that one I was going to (laughs) get. Well, good job, my friend you did it rim shot or a clock under the whale i've been just waiting for that <laughs> i'll give you another take on it four o'clock under the whale hmm. i will meet my parents and squail <laughs> rim shot yeah i've been doing frank all night no no Maybe that's the maybe you need to do that again, and that's the moment where Alex's voice finally cracks. Rim shot. Uh, The aftertaste is okay. I'll just burp that aftertaste out. Let me (laughs) get a breath and I'll redo that. So glad you're across the room. I know. Rim shot. And also, I remember what your uh, thing with Ryan Daly was. It was uh, so he was saying, "I just read like three issues of Power Pack, and it's really good. I wish that somebody had told me about this. That's or right. Had, <laughs> or was doing a, po- a yes, podcast. That's about right. It. That's right. 
That's what it was about. Damn him. Rim shot. Sorry. No, no, it's fine. Yeah, we haven't stepped on each other all night. Okay. <laughs> Rim shot. Shoot, where are you from? Pensacola, New Jersey. And somewhere else. <laughs> and Pensacola, <Yeah>. New Jersey. <laughs> You, you know what? The Philadelphia suburbs. Nah, we'll see. We'll see. do the Pensacola. I don't remember all the rest. I... And Pensacola, New, New Jersey. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> you do. Now do it for real. Go.